passage this morning is, again, Romans 12. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, again, we thank you for your word that gives us direction, for your word that has literally brought life to our soul, for your word that has guided us to the Lord Jesus Christ who has forgiven us. Father, help us to be people of the book. Lord, we need to be transformed, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Help us to guard our hearts, guard our minds, as Proverbs says. And yet in doing so, that we would fill our minds and heart with truth from your word. And that that truth would, again, transform us into being what we ought to be, what we already are in the inward man. Father, give us wisdom as we think about these truths today. So many of us fall on either side of the road, as it were, either thinking it's all dependent upon us or that none of it's dependent upon us. Lord, help us to see our part in the process of sanctification, but to be convinced and convicted on what your part is. Help us to be teachable. Lord, help us to be willing to be convicted and to change and grow for your honor and glory. In whose name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Romans 12. Again, we're going to be looking at transformation. How does that work? I'm concerned that many times we really don't have a good understanding of what we're to do. I remember a story of a little girl. She was sitting in the morning service. And unlike our church, we, by the way, do not take an offering The boxes in the back are where you can give your offerings to the Lord. But in this particular church, they were taking an offering and it was being passed along and she was sitting at the the end of the row and when the offering plate came to her, she actually took it and actually put it on the ground and stood inside the plate. And the usher obviously was curious and he said, Oh, well, what are you doing? And she said, well, I learned in Sunday school that I was supposed to give myself to God. You know, that's, that was a very wise young little lady right there. We are to give ourselves to God. When uh, Paul says that we are to be a living sacrifice, that's what he's getting at right there. We're to live... It's not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice where we are giving ourselves to God. And every part of our life is to God. That we don't just give token amounts to God, but we give ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Again, as you see in your outline, that's our relationship to God. What is our relationship to God? A living sacrifice. As I've been saying for the last three weeks... The key to a productive and satisfying Christian life is not in getting more of God, but in giving all to God. That's very, very important. We need to give ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. As you noticed last week, I only got through a very small part of the outline. I'm sure many of you are like, has he done? I mean, yeah. no, it's just, I forgot to tell you, part two. I, I thought we had time, but we didn't. Um, But verse 2, he goes from our relationship to God in verse 1 to verse 2 where it says, do not be conformed to this world. And there's two main verbs, don't be conformed, but be transformed. That's the opposites. Don't be conformed to this world. Again, conform means, the idea is, refers to an outward expression that does not reflect what is inward. The idea is this, we have been transformed inwardly But don't let the external be different than what the internal is. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by what you really are as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting at. The word conform really points towards the external because the internal has already been changed. I'm talking about the soul is God's. 
Again, it's passive. That's very important. Don't let the world, as uh, J.B. Phillips says, squeeze you into its mold. So the word conformed is not something that I'm doing like I want to get more of the world. It's just being passive, letting it just squeeze you into its mold. And you might say, well, how does that work? Well, I gave you four key words last week just to try to summarize. Again, secularism, that's from the world. Secularism says that the cosmos is all that there is. There is no spiritual. It's all about the now. It's whatever you see, the living right now, the, the things that are seen versus the things that are unseen. In other words, we have to be careful that we don't allow the world to squeeze us into its mold and just thinking about the now. Just thinking about the now as it pertains to the financial system or the political system or our own personal lives. That All that's really important is the now. That's something, by the way, that, that, is, that is passive. I mean, it, the world can work on us and we don't even realize we're being worked on. And we become secular in our thinking. In other words, what matters is now and only now. People who are not people of the book, people who do not give and serve are people of the now because they're just saying, well, really what's important is me. Which leads us to the second one is humanism or being an individual. The Bible is very clear that it's about us, not me. Corporate, not individual. But humanism says that you know, that it's all about our little kingdom. I gave you the illustration of Nebuchadnezzar, quintessential humanist, when he said in Daniel 4, look at this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. I mean, that's, that's a humanist. It's all about me. Again, that favorite song of theirs is me, 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 me. Don't you just love the ring of that? So you, but, that, but that's the pressure. I mean, what is the world? Think about what the world pressures you in. It is all about you. It's about the individual. No, it isn't. It's about God and it's about community. As Christians, we have to realize it's about community. I've been given as a gift to you. You have been given a gift to us. In community, that's what the whole thing about spiritual gifts is. If, if you don't get that, then Romans 12, verse 3 is going to be very hard for you where he talks about the spiritual gifts, not to think more highly than you ought. And verse 5, that we have to look at this, and individually members of one another. That's going to be a very hard concept. <coughs> Humanism works against those concepts. The third main uh, idea or thinking from the world is materialism, that nothing exists but what is material. Money, fame, pleasure, in other words, all the things, again, that you can see. Be as healthy as you can, live as long as you can, get as rich as you can. The idea is just do it because that's what's really important. These, by the way, interfold with each other. When you start thinking about it, it's, it's the scene, it's the me, it's not the us, it's what we can get now. It's not waiting for reward. Therefore, we're living in the moment, not for eternity. It's hard to wait. So materialism, and materialism can, again, press us into its mold, that thinking. We can become very materialistic and not even realize it. I think that's one of the best things that happened when <coughs> Sol and I went to on the mission trip. It just, it's just like it wakes you up to what's really important. And really what we think is a lot and what they think of as a lot is so much different, you know. So it's good to be reminded that, uh, you know, where we're at in America is not where the whole world is at. Again, I remind you, the av- half the world lives on $2 a day or less. That's just an amazing statistic. Every time I say it, it's just amazing. $2 or less. A lot of poverty. Am I, uh, am I advocating that? No, but just let's understand we live in a, a different culture, a different, a different time period than any time in, in history as far as the abundance. But let's not fall into materialism. In fact, let's be generous with what we have. And then the final one is relativism. Relativism says there's no absolutes. You, you understand if you're more of a relativist or a pragmatist if you don't really care what the Bible really says. And if you do find out what it says, 
that you're really not that concerned about obeying it. Because relativism says there is no absolutes. There's no black and white. Everything's gray. The Bible says, though, all Scripture is inspired by God. In other words, it's authoritative and is sufficient or profitable for what? Doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we need to be people of the book and not with a relativistic attitude. No, we need to, what does the book say and I will follow it. By the way, at the very end of the message last week, I challenged you to shut off the TV or shut off your internet. Shut off. By the way, I wasn't doing that to be legalistic. Some of you did, some of you didn't. I found it hard about halfway through the week. I wanted to catch the news and, and you know, I ended up, actually, I ended up watching one small Andy Griffith show. I, <laughs> and then I, I repented afterwards. And, no, no, I didn't repent because, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's your standard. What, what was the point of the thing? What was the point? The point is just to kind of wake you up to how we are so connected. And sometimes we don't even realize we're chained to the thing. That's really the whole point. We don't want to love the world because the love of the Father is not in the person that loves the world. Kent Hughes did a very famous quote. I say famous because I've quoted him probably five, six times over the years, but this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. Ken Hughes was a pastor of Wheaton Bible Church out in, uh, near Chicago. Very godly man. I was able to go to one of his seminars. Just a very godly, very honored, you know, um, really able to relate to a godly pastor of 40-some years. But he said this, I am aware of the wise warnings against using words like all, every, and always in what I say. I mean, there is a danger in that, you know. Like when you say to your kid, you know, well, you always. Really? Absolutizing one's pronouncements is dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyways. Here it is. This is the quote. It is impossible for any Christian who spends the bulk of his evenings, month after month, week upon week, day in and day out, watching the major television networks, or contemporary videos, and I'll throw in all the other internet stuff, to have a Christian mind. This is always true of all Christians in every situation. End quote. See, we need to have a very careful biblical mental program, right? We have to be careful what we allow into our minds. By the way, I would say this. You know, what if a new spiritual nutritionalist analyst came and started analyzing what you allowed into your mind? What would he find? Again, sometimes we do an analysis of what we're taking into our body's physical food, but what about our minds? What proportion of your mental food is godly and scriptural? While it's sometimes very hard to control our thoughts, it's not so hard to control what feeds our thoughts. Think about that. Yeah, it's hard sometimes to control our thoughts, but it's a lot easier to control what's going into our mind. It's negation. Sometimes we have to negate. That's all I was asking you to do last week is negate. Just turn it off. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, Watch, or the word is guard, guard your heart. The word there is mind. The idea is your inward being. Guard your heart. Watch over your mind with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Watch over your heart. Watch over your mind. Keep it under guard. It's interesting because that word watch is the same word that was used of Joseph in Genesis chapter 40 when he was put into confinement. So what is the proverb saying? Put your heart, put your mind under confinement. Put it in jail. What do you mean? In other words, when it's in jail, only certain people can visit a person that's a prisoner. Make your heart, create a situation where your heart, your mind, isn't just being allowed to have open access to all that's out there. Put it under confinement. Guard it. Don't let it roam. Be willing to uh, negate certain things out of your life so that you don't get infected by the world. As one man said, determined rejection. You have to have determined rejection. I'm going to reject certain things. Because again, it's impossible to have a biblical mind if we just allow the floodgates, right? We have to break the pattern. 
Philippians 4 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let, let your mind dwell on these things. Let your mind dwell on those things. Well, the one commentator reversed that. He said this, Finally, brethren, whatever is untrue, whatever is base, Whatever is wrong, whatever is impure, whatever is unlovely, whatever is unadmirable, if there is anything shoddy or unworthy of praise, do not think about those things. I like that. Yeah, we have to be people who are willing to negate, take out of our lives things. If we really want to have a Christian mind, guard your heart. Again, we find that difficult. I remember a, a story, I think Billy told this, a while back, I think I've told you too, it was about a father and, some, and his kids. And his kids came home and there was this new movie playing. Kind of dates the story because it was just PG-13. I say just PG-13 because most of us say, well, it's just PG-13. And this, and, this, um, and this father was being barraged literally by the kids who wanted to go see this PG-13 movie. And, you know, they were saying, well, but all our friends are watching it. All our friends went to the movies. And the father said, well, what is it like? And he said, well... You know, there's, there's a few words that are unholy, you know, in Father's probing. And, he, and, and they say, well, yeah, I guess there's a few, you know, sensual scenes, but there's no nudity. And all our friends have watched it. Please, please, Daddy, can I, can, Dad, can we please go? Well, he stood his ground. He knew it wasn't pure and right and wholesome. And the father said, no, you cannot go to that movie. You know, they're all bummed out, obviously. Later on, for supper, later on that night, they had supper, and after supper, he said, well, I've, he said, I've got this special treat for you. And they said, ooh, what is it? And uh, so he brought out this hot batch of brownies. Boy, did they look good. As he was cutting into them, he told the kids that these were special brownies because they had been, there was a, a new ingredient that he put in them. And he said, well, what is the new ingredient? And, and uh, he said, well, I, you know, I followed the, uh, the recipe exactly. But then fi- at the very end, I just added a little bit of dog poop. <clears throat> he said, well, I figured that just a little bit would not ruin the batch. Just like you said, a little impurity and sin in the movie didn't ruin the movie. I think they got the point. I almost made a batch just like that. I almost did. I was going to actually and have some kids come up and say, well, just hold on to it, but I didn't. I thought, nah, I better not. Some, somebody will grab and eat it. You know, I tell that story, but you know what? And we laugh, but you know what? Some of us, we will listen and look and watch, and, and it's like the frog in the kettle. The heat's been turned up, the impurity is turned up, and we don't even realize it. Let's be very, very careful that we are not conformed to this world. Periodically, I'm going to ask you, and again, it's not me being a Pharisee or legalistic, I'm going to ask you, turn off the TV. Turn off the Internet. Turn off the media. Just see if you're being affected and not even realizing it. Let's go to the next verb. Don't be conformed, passive. Next one, be transformed. Be transformed. It's also in the, pa- in the passive. It's present, passive, imperative. Now you say, well, what is, well, I'll get to that. It's very important to realize both of these are in the passive. Conformed. Don't let it squeeze you into its mold. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is something that is happening to us. Again, the word transformed is primarily speaking of new thinking patterns and directions, not just our outward behavior, but I want you to get this. But the transformation will also be our outward behavior. In other words, the verse's emphasis is you have to renew your mind. But if you renew your mind, the outward, external, the way you live will be changed. Why? Because look at verse 1. Present your bodies. He's talking about your bodies. That's what the whole verse 1 and 2 is about. What you hear, what you see, what you say, how you react. I mean, that's what it's about. So again, it's talking about mind renewal that affects your behavior. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4... 
talking about the old man, the new man, verse 22, Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. You put off the old man, now look at this, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There again, that, that's mind renewal. Why? That you might be able to put on the new man which was created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. So there is that put off, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on. That would be like a cousin passage to this. Again, transformation is much more than a change of outward conduct. It is a renovation of our inner being, our true self. Well, there's two things that have to happen in this process. Again, as he writes it, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to look at the renewing of your mind first. And then be transformed second, okay? So the first is be by the renewing of your mind. The, a new mind, in your outline, it's number one. A new mind. He's shooting towards the inward there. How do you think? Renewed. By the way, the word mind is not equal to brain. He's talking about our heart, our thoughts, our thinking, okay? Not the brain. Brain will die you know, when you, when you die, the brain. But he's talking about the mind, the actual you, the, the inward you. But he said we have to have it renewed. We have to have a complete change. Why? Because to get different actions, you have to have different thinking. Because different thinking leads to different actions. Some of us wants, want to change our th- uh, actions, but we don't understand we have to change our thinking to change our actions. Like Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. Or like Psalms 119, 11, Your word I have treasured in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. I've treasured your word that I might not sin against you. I've treasured your, your word in my mind, and therefore I'm going to do what is right. That's the only way we can be sanctified. John 17, Sanctify them in, in the truth. Your word is truth. We have to win the battle of our mind. One commentator said, It is in our mind that the new nature and the old humanness are intermixed. It is in the mind we make the choice which will express itself. (coughs) So it's in the mind where the old and the new are, and and who's going to win? We struggle many times. Again, because we just allow our minds to be conformed to the, the world. But wait a second, who's going to win? We've got we to gotta renew our mind through the Word of God. You might say, well, what, is the, what does the old mind look like? <laughs> what does the old man's mind look like? Let's say it that way. Let me just throw out a few thoughts. Romans one twenty four says, uh, says this, that God gave them over to a depraved mind. That, that word depraved means a, a mind that is rejected. In other words, it's worthless. The mind of the unsaved is worthless. What do you mean worthless? Worthless in the sense that it cannot perceive thoughts, true thoughts about God. Romans 8, 7 says that the mind set on the flesh is carnal. It's carnal. That word, the idea is it's fleshly. In other words, what do you mean fleshly? The mind of the unsaved just cares for itself. Again, humanistic. It's the opposite of being spiritually minded, caring for the things of God. In other words, a fleshly mind cares about our agendas, our desires, our goals, our way of viewing life. Another uh, third thought is uh, it's vain. Ephesians 4.17, the futility of their minds. In other words, devoid of truth. It's useless. It's vain. It, It cannot, again, comprehend spiritual things or go in that direction. Titus 1.15 says it's a defiled mind. Defiled literally means just stained. You ever have a garment? I had a garment one, I mean garment. I had a, a shirt on one time and like the, you ever have a pen break, you know, explode? Ooh, how do I get out of this one? You know, you have to. But the point is, is um, it stains. Your, your mind is stained with sin before salvation. It's also Colossians 1.21. It's hostile. It's hostile. It says, we're alienated and enemies in your mind. That's what the unsaved person, alienated and enemies in your mind. And also corrupt. 
1 Timothy 6.5, corrupt. The idea of corrupt is this, is worse in getting worse. Worser? <laughs> it's bad in getting worse. It's getting worser. Anyways, however you want to say that. All right, so th- all right, this is the unsaved mind. Before you're saved, it was worthless to the things of God. It was fleshly set on itself. It was defiled. It was stained. It was vain. It was hostile. It's corrupt. And we trust Christ. Do you think everything of that mind is changed instantaneously? Well, we're given new. We're a new man. We have a redeemed nature, as it were. But again, we have things to work on. Everything that's wrong with the mind is not erased at the moment that we receive Jesus Christ. And so there's still impediments, things that are left there and that we have to work on. At times we do become selfish. At times our thinking is very fleshly. At times, you know, and so we have to say, okay, we have to renew. That's, that's the point. We come from a, a very corrupt, defiled, fleshly, worthless. God gave us life. But yet there's still the old man there. There's the old flesh. So a renewed mind is one that is being saturated. It's being controlled by what? The Word of God. So I need to have the Word of God. So when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's going to be getting at the Word of God. That's what he's talking about. That's where his direction is. In our thinking, we are wrestling with a mind that has been habituated to think things that are depraved. Again, vain, defiled, corrupt. That's what we brought to salvation, and now it's a slow change. By the way, aren't you thankful that God is patient? <laughs> That's what I love about being a Christian and, and, and walking with God. The days are getting better. The days are getting better. Oh, yeah, the outward man is, you know, has light affliction, but I mean, the days are getting better. Why? Because as you renew your mind, the old is being thrown off. And it's a process. That's why the gospel, the fact that I am righteous in Christ's righteousness is so important because I see this process and it it used to discourage me because it was like, oh, but now I realize even on my best or worst days, God's love is consistent with me. So I look at this as an exciting program that God has me in. Whereas it used to be the guilt would stay because I really didn't believe the gospel to the degree it... See, guilt, when, when you confess, if, if you confess your sins, but you really don't believe that they've been forgiven, that guilt stays there and it will keep you chained to that sin. If you find yourself confessing the same sin over and over and over again, not because you committed it again, I'm saying at that point that you committed it, and now you confess it again because you just can't believe that you did that, thought that. You're still chained to that sin. That guilt is holding you captive. But it's the gospel that frees you and says, no, it's really true. God forgave you. He forgave you in Christ, not based on your merit, on what Christ did. It therefore destroys the guilt and therefore lets you free. It, it frees you. So that's the new mind. That's part of what the new mind is, 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 is the old. See, the old man says this, anything that's worth getting, you had to work for. That's why religions work so good in, to unsaved, because it's, I'm working, I'm working my way to heaven. It's, it's about, but the gospel comes along and shatters that, breaks that, and says, no, it's not about you. It's not about your righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness. And because of Christ's righteousness, you can stand before God righteous based on what he did. It's grace. It's through faith. You don't have to work. And even that has to be changed because we, are, we get back into a performance religion very easily. Well, we have to do, do, do to please God. No, we have to rest in who Christ is and walk with Him. So we have to have a new mind. And that new mind will then produce that first part of uh, verse, chapter, uh, verse 2, uh, second part, be transformed. <coughs> See, the, the new mind is what needs to happen so that we would be transformed. Be transformed what? Be transformed what? By the renewing of your mind. Okay? That's what has to happen. So we have a new mind first, and now we have a new direction. That's the second fill-in. And I think the second part here is really talking about the outward. As you change your inward thinking, now your outward starts to change. That word is metamorpho. 
Uh, again, it's a very, you know, it's where we get metamorphosis. Um, what is metamorphosis? It's, it's a change in the outward behavior. You know, you think about the butterfly. The butterfly, the caterpillar, actually goes through that process, you know, and then it breaks out of the cocoon and then is able to fly. Again, this is a great illustration. I'm glad he used that particular word because that's what he's referring to, something that is external. He, he's actually looking at the outward. And this same word here is used four times in Scripture, two of which are used of the transfiguration. Now think about the transfiguration in uh, Matthew 17. Verse 2, it says, and, and he, being Jesus, was transfigured before them, being three of the uh, apostles. He was transfigured. Went up on a mountain and transfigured. Now, what happened at that moment? It's a brief time when the three disciples saw Jesus' earthly body be changed into the glorified body that he has and will return to this earth with. All of a sudden, the external of who Christ was became as were equal to the internal. What, the, what he was internally became externally visible to them. So do you get the picture? When, he says, when Paul says in Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, he's saying this, don't think and act in a way that is inconsistent with who you are in Christ. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Go through this metamorphosis where you're thinking, and again, the resulting, your resulting speech and behavior, which is your outward, is more true to the true reflection of who you are in Christ. In other words, let the outward be consistent with what the inward. When, you, when the disciples saw the transfiguration, the outward became consistent of who Christ really was. They saw his glory. And here, Paul is saying, listen, really allow people, I mean, the world, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Really let them see, be changed so that your external is really matching what your internal already is. Because you've been renewed. I think it was, uh, let's see here, there was one. Again, Matthew uses this term because it's such a perfect term. And again, transformation is external. I want you to get this. Because I would have always taught, no, he's talking about the internal. No, the internal is the renewing of the mind. <clears throat> the external is, well, because he wants you to, again, present your bodies. What's your external like? How do you live your life? How do you live your external life? How do you live your outward life for the Lord? Many of us might say, well, you know, internally we're good. You know, I'm studying the Bible. But how is it affecting the external? You more patient? Show greater kindness? More gentle? Less gossip? Less anger? You know, how is the external matching what God has already done in your life? Well, let's break this apart. Final three things. Let's just look at the word transform, and let me give you the three parts of the verb, okay? The first is this. It is, in, again, the passive voice. In other words, I can't do it on my own. That's, his, that's Paul's point. When he says, be transformed, it's in the passive. It's not the active. You would normally think it would be in the active, like you're supposed to do something. It's actually in the passive voice, which means I can't do it on my own. It's done to us. We do not transform ourselves. Rather, it's this way. The Holy Spirit is the transforming agent who uses the Word of God. It's the Word of God through the Spirit's work that transforms us. Uh, write down this, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That's also in the passive voice into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So he names who it is. It's, it's, we're being changed, being transformed by the Spirit. I think Jerry Bridges has been one of the greatest blessings, of, blessings to the church of this age because he's really brought up how do you get transformed in many of his books. Many of you have read his books. But he came up with the concept of dependent discipline. The idea is this, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit and yet we still do something because it's discipline. In other words, it's like the, the plane I've said before, a plane needs two wings. 
we need to both be dependent on the Spirit of God and disciplined in our own life. Discipline might be turn off the TV, get into the Word of God, pray. But we're dependent on the Spirit of God for the entire process. He writes this, Jerry Bridges, We tend to vacillate in your Christian life. We all do this. We tend to vacillate between self-effort and passive dependence. We seem to vacillate between those. Self-effort, passive dependence. Self-effort says, i got to do a lot in the Christian life. Passive dependence says, oh, let go and let God. We have a tendency to, to not be steady on this. One day we try harder, and the next day we just want to turn it all over to the Lord and let Him live His life through us. But again, what does the Scripture say? Well, John 15, For without me you can do nothing. Philippians 2 says this, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God who works through us. So I need to be disciplined, but I need to be dependent as well. And I, gotta have, I have to keep those two truths, I have to keep them together. Not one or the other. Chris, with any truth, there's always usually a couple ditches on one, one side or the other of a truth. And sometimes we fall into one ditch and say, well, that's what truth is. No, the, the truth is this. We are dependent on the Spirit of God, but there's still something we have to do. We have to be disciplined. He closes out by saying this. So spiritual growth very much involves our activity. But it is an activity that must be carried out in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now catch this. It is not a partnership. Say that with me, please. It is not a partnership. Not a partnership. With the Spirit in the sense of that, e- that we each, the believer and the Holy Spirit, do our respective tasks. It's not a partnership. Rather, we work as He enables us to work. His work lies behind all of our work and makes our work possible. We are not just dependent on Him. We are desperately dependent on Him. Okay. So it is not a partnership. Because every part of what I do, whether it's negating out of my life or putting into my life through the spiritual disciplines of reading and studying and memorizing God's Word and meditating on God's Word or praying and fasting. By the way, when was the last time you fasted? Is by the Spirit's direction. Why? Now, just think about this. This must be, Why do you think that is? Why does everything have to be done through the Spirit's power? Because that is the only way that God gets all the glory. Right? So, I can't do it on my own. Just know that that is a passive Let's do the second one, though. I must do it by God's grace. Now, look, I can't do it on my own, but I must do it by God's grace. It's an imperative. It's a command, actually more like an exhortation. Again, it's an exhortation. Let me just read one last thing about that uh, Bridges writes, because, again, this is helpful. This is very helpful. It's passive. It's imperative. See, when you say active, it's kind of like a father telling a boy that's playing baseball in the spring, hey, Tommy, go out and hit the ball. That's active. He's saying, do something. But again, this is something that is being acted upon, and he writes this. Paul exhorts us to be transformed. He does not urge us to do something, but to have something done to us. Let's take the little leaguer Tommy again. Suppose Tommy comes in from his game all grimy, sweaty, and dirty, which the average kid does. By the way, the average kid at that point doesn't even want a shower, right? But mother says, you know, Tommy, go take a shower. Now that's a command, it's an imperative, and she uses an active verse. She wants Tommy to do something. But what is the end result that Tommy, or Tommy's mother wants? She wants Tommy to be made clean, so she directs him to take a shower. She knows that Tommy cannot cleanse himself. If he tried, all he would do is rearrange the dirt. So she wants Tommy to bring himself under the cleansing action of soap and water. It is the soap and water that will ultimately wash away the sweat and the dirt. But Tommy must bring himself under that cleansing action. So his mother says to him, go take a shower. Just as Tommy cannot cleanse himself, 
So we cannot transform ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But just as Tommy must bring himself under the cleansing action of soap and water, so we must bring ourselves under the transforming action of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) This means, of course, that we must continually submit our minds to the Word of God, which is the chief instrument the Holy Spirit uses to transform us. So when Paul urges us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he was essentially saying, bring yourself under the transforming influence of the Word of God. It is by this means that we, we begin to develop Bible-based convictions. Now again, I'm going to use that word conviction in a moment. He says, be transformed, imperative, exhortation, you must do it. But I can't do it. Well, no, you can't do it, but you can put yourself under the shower of God's Word, under the direction of the Spirit of God. That's what He wants us to do. So like in Colossians 3.18, when it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you, Richard, referring to the Word of God, let it, let it take up residence in your, in your heart, as it were. Let the Word of God, as it were, be a welcomed friend to your, to, to your walk with the Lord. In other words, let the Word of God take up residence where, where you're at in, in your heart. Again, we need to get into the book. That's, I guess that's the whole point of this. How do I get transformed? Well, I get transformed by the Word of God. Or, excuse me, by the Spirit of God. But how do, what does the Spirit of God use? The Spirit of God uses the Word of God. So how am I going to get transformed? I've got to get into the Word of God. I've got to, as we get under the shower, the washing of water with the Word, knowing that it's the Spirit of God that's going to transform and excuse me, change my thinking, which would change then my outward behavior. So I can't do it on my own. I must do it by God's grace. And third, I must continuously do it. It's in the present tense. I must continually get into the Word of God. I must cooperate with the Spirit of God as He uses the Word of God. That's how transformation happens. So transformation is not just the renewing of the mind. It's the renewing of the mind that also changes your outward Action, Because again, Paul starts out verse 1 by saying that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's how you act and react in this world. Let me close with an illustration. Now this is just, this is just I'm, I'm trying to show you what the Word of God should do in your life. Let's just take one concept, the grace of God, like you find it in Titus Chapter 2, verse 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God. Let's say you... Okay, the renewing of your mind. What do you mean, Pastor, the renewing of your mind? Well, the grace of God. Let's think about just the grace of God. You know, when it comes to the grace of God, the gospel of God, and all that He has done for us, it's not that we think too highly of it. It's, it's that we think too lowly of it. We don't have enough understanding of the glorious gospel. Okay? So let's say you delve into this and say, you know, I'm going to really start delving deeper into what does it mean, the grace of God. I think it's going to transform in three areas your relationship with God, with yourself, and with others. The grace of God. Now, this is the concept. And you're renewing your mind. All right, so what what would you start understanding? Well, the grace of God is that when I get saved, when I got saved that God received me, accepted me into the beloved. I became his child, that now I stand in Christ's righteousness, even in my best or worst of days, I'm covered by the blood. Um, That even when I stumble, God still loves me. And when I do ask for forgiveness, it's complete. I don't have to be, I don't have to be uh, uh, chained to uh, my sin because I don't have to be chained to the guilt because it's all gone. And he's patient. God is very patient. Now, let's say you start really grabbing these. It's not performance. Well, how does that change in my relationship with God? Well, that, that, that truth is creating humility in my life because, let's face it, everything was done by God. The only thing I brought to the table was my sin. God gave everything else. So I'm overwhelmed by God's goodness. See, the grace of God should overwhelm me with his goodness. That he would, he would reach down and save a sinner such as myself. So that's change in my relationship to God. Why? Because I'm overwhelmed with his goodness. Also, it is making me steady with God's love for us. In other words, 
He really does love me. He loves me even when I'm depressed, even when I blew at my kids, even when I thought that sinful thought. He still loves me consistently. What does that do for me? I want to love him back. It doesn't make me sloppier in my Christian walk. It makes me more consistent because I'm confident of his love. Not only that, but I don't run from God. I pray. See, sometimes we are running from God because we don't believe the gospel. It makes me prayerful. It makes me more dependent on Him. It makes me more obedient. I get into His Word, and I know that if I, if I truly want to obey, He gives me the power, and when I find that I have failed, I quickly repent because I know that He wants to forgive. So it makes me more obedient to Him. And again, my guilt is not chaining me. That's how it changes. That's how it transforms my relationship with God. Let me see, let me, let's think about this. How does it transform my relationship just within myself? <laughs> well, the grace of God destroys pride. Would you agree with that? It creates humility. And by the way, we know that a humble person, one who is not proud, is a grateful, thankful person. You get a humble person. They're not a griper and complainer. Complaining is decreasing. I'm becoming more teachable. Why? Because I want to know about this God who loved me that much. I'm thirsty for Him. I'm a learner. Why? Because of the grace of God. That renewing actually created a thirst. What does that mean? That means I want to get into the book. That's external. Not only that, but as I get into the book, I start realizing all the times that He talks about being a servant, being a slave, that I'm a servant. So an attitude of, Lord, you did all this for me. I want to serve you. I want to serve you. I want to serve others. And by serving you and you are holy, I need to have integrity. So integrity is being built into my life. Let me give you the third and final area. So we're looking at the grace of God, and it's changed the way I view God and how I react to God externally. It changes how I look at myself and how I treat others around me but also how I'm living my own personal life. But then also this grace of God transformed my relationship with you. Because again, it does create humility. Now I'm interdependent with you. I'm not just my isolated me. I actually want to pray for you. I actually love you. I actually am willing to, let's get this one, put up with you. (laughs) Hopefully you're willing to put up with me. Um, See, I become interdependent. And a servant, not only sir, but what that plays out with you. I want to do my best with my spiritual gifts because it's for you. I become an encourager. I become solid in my relationships. Instead of all about me, I'm actually becoming a better listener. Why? Because you're important. Do you see how this all works? The grace of God did all that in my life. will do all that in your life or has done all that in your life. You're able to, by the way, accept criticism because humility, a humble person is able to accept criticism. Whereas before I would have defended in blue. (laughs) You can come and say your sermons are too long. So I'm a giver. I'm submissive, by the way, to others. I'm willing to be under their authority. All because my mind was renewed by the concept, the grace of God. All these externals. Being encouraged, being submissive, being obedient, being focused, being a servant, all those things. All those are built on the grace of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See where, this is the, this important point. You're getting in the Word of God. How is it changing your external life? How is it changing living as a, I mean, as a living, present your bodies as a living sacrifice? How is it changing the way that you're living? And there should be direct connections. I've just given you one big concept. But as you get into the Word of God, there should be a direct connection of saying, okay, and this is how I'm going to live my life differently because I'm being transformed. Just like when they saw Jesus, they got a glimpse of who He really was. In all His glory. Paul says, give, give the world a glimpse of who you really are. Let your external reflect who you really are internally. I want to stand. Let's stand together. And again, as, as you go before the Lord in singing, if, if you've been caught with a sin, 
If you have just said, you know, I've lived my life and somehow I thought I just had to give it to God, but you realize now you have to be transformed. You have to do something, but you're not a partner. You're letting God work through you. I would ask you this. Confess it to God before you even sing. Do you really want to be transformed by His Word? Do you really agree with that? Are you actually seeking after God? Let me give you a challenge. Last week I asked you to shut the TV off. Some of you did. Let me give you a challenge for this week is this. All right, so you're going to go back to watching TV. Probably. How about this? You have a piece of paper in front of you. And instead of just being passively entertained, by the way, do not be conformed to this world, just allowing yourself open gate, as it were. How about if you were, you were a discerning watcher? So you're watching the video or the movie and whatever. And by the way, Thessalonians says this, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. By the way, that's the dog poop right there, all the forms of evil. You're going to watch that and you're going to say, you know what, let me see. Can I see selfishness? Can I see humanism? Can I see the present now? Just live for today. I would, I would challenge you to be a discerner, a discerning watcher, not just being entertained, okay? That would be my first, my first admonition to you. If you watch something even with your kids, hey, listen, let's watch this program, guys, but let's have the piece of paper on. Let's see how discerning you are as a family. The second part is this. How about if you made a, a commitment, and maybe many of you are doing this, but how about for at least a half hour, seven days in a row, you spend time in the book? Because again, we can't be transformed unless our minds are renewed, and you can't be renewed unless you're getting into the book. So you take maybe Romans 12, we're right there, or you take John 17, ABF, or some other passage. And maybe, not even, I'm not asking you to read through the whole Bible in, in this week, I'm just saying, take a passage... Ask God to give you wisdom, pray, read for maybe 20-some minutes, and then go back and say, okay, what is a principle? What is something that I've just found that can also transform my thinking, that will also transform my actions? Because God wants my bodies to be a living sacrifice. How does this change my thoughts? How does it change my, uh, what I see, what I hear, what I say, what I do? Be a discerning watcher. And then get into the book to find out the direction that God wants for you. I, I would encourage you to take that challenge. It will, again, transform your life. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we want to be very careful as we walk through this world. So easy to get sucked into the world's thinking. And then we wonder why we don't feel blessed, though we know we are maybe even depressed and so often not saying and doing the right things. Lord, again, we want to be transformed, but we know that there's something we have to do. Give us the discipline to get into your word. Give us the discipline to even think through what your word says and how it applies so that we might honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.